Turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Thessalonians. We read uh, 1 Thessalonians, I've uh, been reading that for a bit, and we've moved on last week to 2 Thessalonians. And uh, one of those things about going verse by verse through a book is it doesn't allow you just to read the convenient stuff. You got to read all of it. And that's a good thing. And I believe that the kind of folks that show up on a Wednesday night, the kind of people that show up on a Wednesday night to hear the word are the kind of people that are not just looking for a you know, cupcake with frosting. You're looking for something that's going to help you grow, something that's going to help you stand, something that's going to help you thrive and live in the world that God called you to. We don't live in a fantasy world. You know that, right? We don't live in a fantasy world, but my goodness, life with Jesus is better than fantasy, isn't it? Life with Jesus is supernatural. I'm not one of those people that believes that um, you have to just give up and give in to the fact that life is always going to be the way you thought it was. I believe through Jesus we are overcomers. We have overcome. And so tonight we're going to talk about some things that may seem at times hard uh, because, you know, the world around us tells us that there is a path that leads to happiness, but it hasn't worked for any of them. They'll tell you that there is a, a way that leads to peace, but none of them have it. And what God tells us is that there is a joy that he's got that the world can't touch. What he tells us is that there's a peace that he gives that the world can't duplicate or replicate. And what everybody is chasing, everybody's looking for that. Whether they use a substance to get there or they chase all their dreams and everything they thought would get them some happiness, it doesn't work. We've seen that. I mean, how many times do you have to see, and I've said this before, but how many times do you have to see one of these celebrities that got everything they were chasing and they're more unhappy than you, probably, you know, by a lot? Suicide rate amongst the rich and famous is like double the rest of America. I don't know the Canadian stats, but... We don't have as many celebrities in Canada, but, but in the States, it's like double. It's insane. The drug rate, the, the substance abuse rate is, is extremely high because they're not finding what they're looking for. It's hard for us to understand how a man like Paul in one of the worst prisons that Rome has to offer sits in that prison where everyone is suffering around him and he himself is suffering some things. And writes a letter that uses the word joy more than any other book in the Bible. How does that work? We have to get rid of the idea that in order for us to have joy, everything on the outside has to work out okay. And we have to get used to the fact and get excited about the fact that his joy goes a lot beyond our circumstance. His joy will keep you standing when everything around you says you should fall. His joy, his peace will keep you enduring when everyone else runs away. You know, David McGrew preached a great message here on Sunday about the idea of being a man. And I think if my wife was an example, the women got just as much out of that message as any of the men. But uh, he used the phrase, play the man which is kind of similar to what the scripture says. I think one of the translations even uses that phrase, play the man. But it reminded me of the famous time in history where that phrase was used, uh, when I believe it was Thomas Cranmore that was being burned to the stake for what he believed. 
as you know, England went through a back and forth of, of Catholic, Roman Catholicism back to Protestantism or, you know, an Anglican outlook. And they went back and forth depending who was on the throne. And there was a period where they went back to the Roman Catholic roots. And instead of just saying this is the official religion, they actually persecuted those who were not Roman Catholic. So there was a man, this Cranmore was burned at the stake, and one of his friends was a guy named Ridley. And as they're about to be burned at the stake, he looks at his friend and he says, Play the man, Master Ridley, for today we will light a candle in England that shall never be put out. His thought was that me dying right now is not going to be the end of the gospel. Me dying right now is not defeat, but in fact, it's going to be victory. What's going to happen by us giving our lives right here is going to do more for the gospel than anything we've preached before. The early church had a word that we still use today, and it was called martyr. It's a shame that that word is so misused now, right? When do we use the word martyr most of the time? It's when someone's being a wimp about something. And, they're, you know, they're saying, I always have to take the garbage out. And you're like, oh, stop being such a martyr. You know, we, we, you know somebody that's whining about their plot in life, you know, their, their plight. Their, you know, somebody who says, well, you know, we always go where you want to go to eat for lunch. We never get to go where I want to eat. And you go, stop being such a martyr. But the truth is the martyrs in the Bible, and that is a Bible word, martyr. The word means witness in Greek. Because what they did was they witnessed to something. The way they faced their death proved what they believed. Do you ever notice something? Here's the reason that Brother Cranmore had to say this to his friend. The reason he had to say, play the man, was because everybody, almost well, not everybody, but most people who were ever put to death for Jesus had a chance to recant. Because I really believe that the enemy doesn't as much want you to feel pain or to die as he, as he wants you to give up. Have you ever considered that the reason, and now listen guys, I'm, I don't think any of you are going to have to die for Jesus tonight. I really hope you don't. I, 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 th- I hope you all live all long lives and, and, and you're, you're old people that love Jesus someday and you get to go when you get to go. Praise the Lord, I believe that. So please don't say, please don't think that I'm just preaching a message about dying because I'm really not. But, but hear me out on this. Many of us have had to face some sort of opposition, some sort of attack on our own lives and on our own well-being because of what we believed. And maybe it's not as intense as those Christians in Iraq that are being slaughtered by their whole village for their faith. I, I guarantee it's not. Guarantee it's not as intense as those believers that I got to spend some time with a few months ago in Vietnam who at any moment could have someone raid their church, steal, take all the Bibles, and arrest their leaders. I guarantee that. But you know what it's like to be attacked at a time when you think things are going well. And I want to I put something out to you. I don't think that the devil's as much interested in you having a bad time and having pain. I don't think that's his goal in life. I think his goal in life is to get you to give up. And the moment you start making a difference, the moment you start making a dent into the kingdom of darkness, the moment you start hurting the enemy's plans is the moment he really turns up the electricity trying to get you to quit. Unfortunately, our theology for so long has taught us that when things are getting hard, I must be doing something wrong. Am I not praying enough? 
Am I not pre- pre- you know, reading the right scriptures? What, what did I do wrong? Did I sin? Well, that's what the disciples said. There was a guy who was born blind. And they said, who sinned? Did this guy sin or did his parents sin that he was born blind? Well, he was born blind, so I doubt a fetus was really sinful. And I also doubt that God would be so cruel as to have these parents sin and this kid be born blind for their sin. And in fact, Jesus says neither. Neither of them did this to this guy. But watch, the glory of God will be shown as I heal this man. Jesus' response was to heal the guy. They were looking for whose fault it was. Jesus was looking to heal the man, right? So many times we say, what am I doing wrong? Why am I going through this? And, and you have some people say, well, maybe the Lord just wants to teach you something. And, and you know, that on its own level seems kind of weird because you don't break your kid's legs to teach them something, do you? Do you? So <laughs> disturbing silence here. <laughs> Hello, RCMP. No, you don't. But you know, we've been called to a war. We've been called to a battle. And nobody gets out of this without fighting. You know that, right? And if you get out of it without fighting, it means you didn't even show up. Right? You know, I'm a big soccer fan. Me and Jared are the only ones in the room, I think. Anybody else? Hey, right on. Praise the Lord. We're having a revival here tonight. (laughs) Okay. I like other sports too, so we can talk about that later. Big soccer fan. You know, the guys that leave the field, because most of the the guys run for a full 90 minutes. They don't get subbed on and off. They run for the full 90. Three guys get to be subbed off, and you don't get to come back on after you're subbed off. So these guys are running for a long time. They're getting studs to the ankles. They're getting, I mean, it's not like as bad as football, but, you know, they don't have any pads on, and they're running for a long ways, and they're running for a long time. The guys that look good coming off the field, apply this to football as well if you want. The guys that look real fresh and and Rosie coming off the field are the guys that didn't play, right? Those are the guys that look like they had a good day. Those are the guys that don't have any grass stains. Those are the guys that aren't bleeding. Those are the guys that aren't winded. They're not tired. They don't have a hamstring injury. Why? Because they weren't playing. So they look pretty good by the end of things because they weren't on the field. The guys who say, well, war was easy. I didn't have to fire a bullet. Nobody fired at me. They weren't on the front lines. And you've been called to the front lines of this thing. So I'm not telling you that life has to be bad. I think life is wonderful with Jesus. I think it's better than anything that you could ever describe. King David, who understood what opposition was like, talked about the pleasures everlasting, how good life was with with the Lord. Life is good, but you're going to have to fight. Here's the good news. We win. You've been called to battle, but you've been called to victory. You haven't been called to defeat. So I'm going to read you some scripture, and I don't want you to get up and walk away. Okay? So if you have to go to the bathroom, hold it, because you going to the bathroom is going to look like you're just a wimp and you left the service. <laughs> we'll see if that works. I'm not holding my breath. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. So I'm going to recap a couple things that we, we read before. Verse 3 we read last week. He said, we ought also... We are always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God 
for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Let me define two words for you. The word persecution means to be hunted down. The word affliction means evil done to someone. Let me ask you a question. Does God do evil? No. No. So when we talk about affliction, we're not talking about God, right? Is that settled? And I can give you like a dozen scriptures that say God doesn't do evil. Affliction is talking about evil being done to someone. The Bible says that you can't accuse God of tempting someone with evil because God himself is not tempted with evil. So if somebody murders somebody else, don't say God did that because the Bible says in order for, I mean, in order for, for that person to have murder in his heart, that murder had to be put there and God does not do that. So let's just absolve God of the guilt here and say he's not the one doing the persecuting or the afflicting. That said, you should expect in your life that this is what you will encounter if you decide to follow Jesus. Right? I didn't say that. The boss said that. The big guy. Big J, he said that. The, the guy that was on that T-shaped thing that we look at in church, that guy said, you want to follow me? This is what's going to happen. In fact, there's that wonderful scripture where he says, nobody who gave up houses or land or farms or families for my sake. He said, it says, everybody that does that, everybody that gave up families and farms and houses and families, I said families twice because they're important. He said, everybody that did that will get them back a hundred times in this life along with persecutions. I try to just stop at the stuff we get back in this life. Just quit reading before he says along with persecutions. But that is what he says. And then he says in the age to come eternal life. So there's a great promise that everything you give up, he's going to repay more than you gave up. But then he says along with persecutions, that's just going to be part of following me. Good news, yeah? Let me read you something in John 16 if you're not convinced yet. <laughs> you guys are like, I'm convinced, please. He says this, because you know what? This is good. This, is, this gives us hope. I'm oh, sorry, John 15. John 15 verse 18 says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So what's supposed to help you? When you're being hated. Does anybody like be, hate? Anybody like being hated? No, I don't like it. If you like it, something's weird. Now, maybe you're, you're not affected by it. I can say that. Like someone might say, it doesn't affect me that much. That's good. But, but nobody says, ooh, I relish your hate. Go ahead, hate me. I, I, don't, I don't think that's normal. I'm not going to judge you for that. But, you know, anyways... Jesus says, if they, hated you, I mean, if they hate you, don't worry, they hated me first. All right? So you're in good company. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. So listen to this. One of the proofs that you're not of the world, one of the proofs that you've been saved from the world and you're part of God's family now, is that people don't like you. Now, I think people, I mean, I'm looking around the room. You guys are liked, you're loved. People at work think you're cool. This is fine. I'm not, and that's not a bad thing, but the, the, the world itself is against what you are. The world itself is opposed to what you believe and what you stand for. And there, there will be times where you have to deal with hate. 
You have to deal with it. You have to, have to accept the fact that some people are going to straight up hate who you are and what you stand for. And what you need to realize is it's not about you. They hated Jesus first. So he says, if you were of the world, they'd love you because they love their own. Isn't that true? The world loves its own. The world loves people that, that reinforce their own uh, way of looking at things. You know, the, the best way to win an Oscar is to make a movie about Hollywood. They love movies about Hollywood. Somebody gets us. We get us. This is great. Let's give each other awards. I mean, you look, <laughs> that's a great way. So, I mean, you know, it's just we tend to really love the people that, that think like us and look like us and, and believe like us. He says, I chose you. You are not of the world. I chose you out of the world because this, the world hates you. Why? Because we, on some level, we distrust What's not like us? We fear what's not like us. We fear the things we can't understand. We distrust them. And, you know, as long as we're chasing the same things in life, as long as you're chasing what everybody else in the world is chasing, you, you, you don't make waves. You get along just fine. But when you start swimming upstream and go in the opposite direction, people don't like that. And part of the reason is when you flip on the light in a room and everybody's used to the darkness... The light hurts. The Bible says that, that someone who's living righteously will have the effect on someone who's not living righteously that, that all of a sudden their, their, their unrighteousness is exposed by your righteousness. Right? So the fact that you are, that you've got light exposes the fact that someone else might have darkness and you know, that's not, your, that's not what you're trying to do. That's not what your goal is to go out and expose everybody. But it's the natural reaction of flipping the lights on. Right? So it's not, it's not abnormal that you would have persecution or that people wouldn't like you. He says, I chose you out of the world and that's the reason they don't like you is because you're not part of them anymore. You don't go along with the flow. You don't, you don't fit in. But then he says this, and this is good. He says, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, that's important. They're not doing it to you because of you, they're doing it for his name's sake. Because they don't know the one who sent me. Because they don't know the Father. This is how they react because they don't know God. Then he says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they wouldn't have any sin or they wouldn't have any guilt. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the worst works which no one else did, they would not have guilt or sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they've done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now listen to this. When the helper comes... Now, this is good news because uh, up to this point, you're like, well, man, this sounds rough. This sounds like I don't, I don't know how, I don't know if I want to follow you if this is all the things I'm going to get out of it. And he says, but don't worry, when the helper comes. You guys believe in a helper, right? right. 
You believe that you have a helper. You believe that you don't have to do this alone. You don't have to fight this alone. You don't have to bear this alone. He says, when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me. And you will testify also because you've been with me from the beginning. These things I've spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. Somebody might ask, you know, Pastor, can you just skip those things? Because you know what? If it happens, it happens. But why do we have to talk about it? It's not fun to talk about. I'll tell you why we have to talk about it. For the same reason Jesus had to talk about it. Because if you know what's coming and you know why it's coming and you know what you've got to keep you from stumbling, that in the hour when this stuff comes, you don't freak out and think it's because you did something wrong. You don't freak out and think you must have head down the wrong road. But you say, okay, Jesus said this was coming. You know, if somebody gives you directions to their house and they say, you're going to turn left, you're going to take a right, and then you're going to take another left. But as you go down that road, it's going to look like the road's closed, but it's just closed through traffic. Local traffic's still open. You just go around the barricade. You're going to have to slow down, but just keep going. You're not on the wrong road. So when you finally get to that point and it looks like the road's closed and you think, am I going the right way? What do you remember? They told me this was going to happen. I am on the right road. Don't worry. Don't freak out. Keep going. See, if they hadn't warned you about that, you'd see that barricade. You'd see that road close sign. And you thought, I must have messed up. I must have taken a wrong road somewhere. As a believer, God's going to call you to the front lines where at times someone's going to shoot at you. And you got to say, it's not bad that I'm being shot at. That's part of what I was called to. That's the reason that God gave me this armor. That's the reason God gave me these weapons because somebody's attacking me. And I don't fight alone. And I haven't been abandoned. See, that's the question, isn't it? The question that so many Christians ask themselves. Has God forsaken me? Have I been abandoned? Did I do something wrong? See, if God was with me, I wouldn't have to be dealing with this. Why am I dealing with this depression? Why am I dealing with this? Why am I dealing with that? Is God abandoning me? No. God's never abandoned you. There's an enemy. He's attacking. But know this. He that's for you is greater than he that's against you. He that's in you is greater than he that's in the world. So know this. You're not alone. And you will stand. And you will not fall. I love Ephesians 6. And we've talked about this before. But Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. And it says, you do this, you will be able to stand. You'll be able to stand firm in the evil day. You will be able to resist. You will be able to stand, resist, and stand firm. All of these things and overcome are the promises to those that believe. You will be able to resist in the evil day. What's the evil day? That's the day when everything hell has to throw against you is being thrown against you. What does the Bible say? You'll be able to stand. How can you know I'll be able to stand? How can you promise me I'll be able to stand? You don't know what's coming against me. You don't know what's going to attack me. You don't know what I'm made of. You don't know how I was raised. Well, it doesn't matter. Because it's not about your strength. It's about his strength. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The Bible never says you're greater. It says he's greater. This is an important point that we all know, but we all got to remember. So he says, I've spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. It's going to keep you from tripping over this and thinking, well, where did I go wrong? You didn't go wrong. Stand. Stand firm. Keep fighting. 
He says, they'll make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think he's offering service to God. What does that mean? At some point, people are going to paint you as the hater. And when they paint you as the hater, they feel they're doing the right thing by being mean to you. Does that sound familiar? Sound like we're walking in those days now? Nobody killed anybody and said, these are the nicest people in the world. We should kill them. No, they, they, they made it out that they were the bad guys. That's how humans work. If we, can't, if we don't have a good reason to go to war with somebody, we'll make one up. Right? You look at Hannibal and the Punic Wars, Carthage and Rome. Carthage was Rome's greatest economic opponent. They were the greatest rival. And they were costing Rome money. So... Some things happened, and a squabble came on, one, on the island of Sicily, and, and uh, they, got in a, uh, they got in a fight, and it turned into a war, got in a squabble over who owned what city. But after that, the, the folks in the Roman Senate realized, hey, we beat the Carthaginians, and when that happened, our economy did better because they were our rivals. So they, they wouldn't quit until they had a reason to make war on them again. In fact, one of the senators said, he had a servant every day tell him, or I mean, sorry, every day he stood up in the Senate and said, it finished every speech he ever gave, gave with the statement, but Carthage must be destroyed. So the second and the third wars against Carthage were the flimsiest of reasons to go to war, but they made it up. You know, there's going to be Nero persecuted the Christians and, and, and blamed it on the fact that they set Rome on fire, not not spiritually, literally. There was a great fire in Rome and everybody was blaming Nero. So Nero just said the Christians did it because we were this weird little group of people, this little cult nobody knew about. So you could pick on these guys. They're not big enough to cause you real problems. And thus began the great persecution of the Christians in Rome under Nero because they didn't get put to death for being nice Christians. They got put to death for being arsonists, even though they didn't do it. They got put to death for being atheists, even though they believe in God. You know what the Romans said about them? They're antisocial. They're harmful to our culture, for they don't worship the same gods we do. The same thing will be said about you in this age. You don't worship at the same idols that the rest of the world does. You don't worship the same gods they do. So you know what they're going to say to you? You're antisocial. You're harmful to the culture. That's okay, don't worry. We're also salt and light to the culture. For as many people that hate you, there's somebody whose heart is being softened. There's somebody who's turning to Jesus. There's somebody who's waking up to righteousness. There's somebody that says, wait a minute, why are we persecuting them? Why are we doing this? Because look at how they're acting. It doesn't match what I've been told about them. Look at this person. They keep loving and loving. Even when we hit them, they love us. And that preaches a sermon to them. And people get saved. So in the Roman persecution, when Christians were being led to the lions, they were called martyrs because they were witnessing to something they'd been preaching this whole time. And more people got saved during the persecution than they got saved before the persecution. Because they saw that what they had was real. Jesus goes on and he says this, These things they will do because they've not known the Father in me. But these things I've spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. So there's a reason we talk about this now. 
So that when the hour comes and there's an attack on you, there's opposition that you have to face. There's something, a wall that you're hitting. You don't think this is because I must have done something. I must have made a wrong turn. I must have done something bad. That you know this is part of the job. This is part of the gig. Jesus said, anyone that follows me, they're going to hate you like they hated me. But you know how Jesus made himself feel better about all that? He said, they don't hate me because of me. They hate me because of the Father. It's the same for you. They don't hate me because of me. They hate me because of Jesus. Now, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Some Christians are just jerks. Can I just say that? Some Christians are just plain out jerks. And the reason the world hates them is not because of Jesus. The world hates you because you're just mean. Don't be mean. Walk in love. Because a mean Christian is not really representing Jesus at all. Right? I don't care if somebody calls you mean. People will call you mean when you're the most loving person in the world. I'm talking about when you really are. Walk in love. Represent Jesus. Peter said this. He says, you know, there's no credit for you if you get persecuted for doing something bad. Because he knew somebody would get arrested for stealing something and say, it's because I'm a Christian. No, it's because you stole something. In fact, let me read that to you real quick. Can I do that? Can I just read you a scripture? I'm just waiting for you to say no because it doesn't matter what you say. I'm going to read it anyways. This is one of those illusions that you, that you think you have some control. I'm sorry. First Peter. And I just want to show you what he says here. Man, if you want a, if you want a whole book on how to follow Christ's example when people don't like you, it's First Peter. Let me ask you a question, because we're, we're, First Peter says these kind of things, because Jesus went to the cross, we should follow his example. And, and here's where we get kind of trippy. We go, wait a minute, didn't he go to the cross so I don't have to? Right? Yep. He did. So what did Jesus bear in your place so that you don't have to? Our sins, Right? Jesus, what does the Bible say? The wages of sin is death. Our sin, our grief, our sorrows, our sickness. All these things the Bible says he bore. Jesus, because the wages of sin is death, Jesus bore the righteous response to evil. Does that make sense? There is a righteous response to evil and justice that says the wages of sin is death. So Jesus bore your Punishment, which is the righteous response to evil. But what Jesus invites us to share with him and walk with him in is evil's response to righteousness. Right? That's why he says, take up your cross and follow me. You don't have to bear the punishment for sin. That's been done. You're not paying for your sin. You're not paying for your trouble. He's already done that. You couldn't do that. We are not adding to what Jesus did on the cross. We can't. We could never, he doesn't need anything else. The cross does not need you to help. Jesus has borne, has paid the price. It's been finished. But then he says, follow me. Take up your cross as I take up my cross. Well, Jesus, get your story straight. Am I not supposed to go to the cross? I thought you went to the cross for me. He did. So that you would not have to bear the punishment, the wrath of God, the punishment for your sin. You don't have to bear that. You do not have to bear... You don't have to deal with, you do not have to accept the righteous response to evil. That's under the blood of Jesus. But evil's response to righteousness 
is what you face as you walk into that world. Because as you walk righteously with God, there is an evil response to that. There is a pushback because there is a devil and there's a kingdom of darkness that does not want you to be who you are in Christ. And Jesus says, stand with me, boys. Stand with me, ladies. Fight with me. This is what we're in for. And you're not alone. He says in 1 Peter, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a few different verses if that's okay. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For you've been called for this purpose. Since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his footsteps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were constantly straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So he says, I suffered for you, now follow in my steps. Then he goes on and he says this. And he says, you, won't, you don't have to pay for your sin, I did that. You were like sheep that wandered. I, I gathered you back, I'm your shepherd, I'm your guardian. But he goes on and he says this in, in chapter 3, verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. You hear that? So if someone is afflicting or persecuting you because of your righteousness, he says, you're blessed. God is blessing. God's blessing is on you. He says this, and don't fear their intimidation. What's the goal of intimidation? And don't be troubled. What's the goal of intimidation? It's to get you to stop, isn't it? What's intimidation? Intimidation means that you are so, that someone puts fear in you, and the purpose of that fear is to get you to stop doing what you're doing. To intimidate means to stop through methods of fear, uh, coercion, terror, to keep you from doing what you're doing. That's why the Bible says God has not given us the spirit of timidity. Some translations say the spirit of fear, and that's not a bad translation, but it's not the word phobos that's, all, that's fear all the rest of the New Testament. It's a different word, which means timidity or cowardice. Timidity is when someone can intimidate you out of what you're called to do. Right? Because that's what was happening with Timothy when Paul wrote that letter. He was young and everybody knew he was young. He said, what right do you have to talk to us? What right? Hey, you're just a young punk. What right do you have to tell me how to live my life? And you know what? Timothy let that stop him. He let him, he stepped back. He, and, and that's why Paul said, you're neglecting your gift. There's something God put in you and you're not doing it. Why? Because you're intimidated. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. You be an example. Then he says, God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but he's given you a spirit of power and of love and a sound, disciplined mind. So it's the Holy Spirit that keeps us from being intimidated. It's that spirit within you. He says, I'm not backing down. I used to be a coward. Peter was a coward who ran away and denied Jesus three times in the garden who locked himself in a house after Jesus was buried because he was afraid. But what happened when the Holy Spirit filled Peter? 
He stood up in front of thousands of people in the city that killed Jesus, in the city where they said, we'll kill you too. And in that very city, he stood up in a public place in front of a crowd of people with his 11 friends with him and preached the gospel. And it wasn't a wimpy message. It was a powerful message. And saw 3,000 people get saved that day. Because the Holy Spirit, as they taught us when we were little kids, will take the chicken out of you. It turns cowards into bold, strong people. What does the Bible say? The wicked flee when no one chases them, but the righteous are as bold as lions. He goes on and he says this. Don't fear the intimidation and do not be troubled. What's the opposite of peace? Troubled. What's troubled waters? The waters that are not still, they're not peaceful, they are disturbed. Don't be disturbed, don't be troubled. He says this, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you're slandered, what does slandered mean? People are telling lies about you. When they do that, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just and the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And he goes on and he talks about baptism. He talks about Jesus overcoming those things. But then in chapter 4, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same purpose, because he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. He says, for the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they're surprised that you don't run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. They hate you for it. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So he says, don't you worry about it. They'll give an account. Then skip down to verse 12. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Now let me ask you, who's testing you? Is it God testing you? Well, there's certainly times you might say that, but God knows what you're made of. It's not God that's testing you in this case. At least I don't believe it is. Because who did Jesus said was trying to test Peter? Who did Jesus say was trying to test Peter? Satan. Satan was trying to sift you like wheat through his fingers. He's trying to see what you're made of. Trying to see if, what, if you're really real. You're being tested. Your faith is being tested. There's a test here. Will you pass it or not? Depends on who's inside of you, right? He says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. Well, shoot, I don't think anybody in the room wants to have a fiery trial. Nobody here wants that. Nobody here is looking for that. But he says, don't be surprised by it as if there was a strange thing happening to you. Right? As if you're like, well, I'm the only one. Why is this happening to me? What did I do wrong? He says, don't be surprised. It's part of the game. Paul said anybody that wants to, <laughs> anybody that wants to follow Jesus is going to have to deal with persecution. Anyone that wants to live, actually he said, anyone that desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. 
All right, anybody here want to live a godly life? Yeah? You're going to be persecuted. Are you okay with that? All right, good. He says this, don't be surprised as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. There's the second time we've heard that. If someone reviles you for the name of Christ, you are blessed. How many of us want the blessing of God? How many of us wish there was another road to get to the blessing of God? (laughs) Can I go the back way? Can I go the ice cream route to the blessing of God? Can you just pray a prayer and dump anointing oil on me and I'll just be blessed? He says, don't worry. When you have to put up with this stuff, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I wish more people talked about the fact that when we stand for Jesus in a dark and seemingly God-forsaken place and all of hell is burst against you, that the glory of God is on you. The spirit of glory is on you. Now, let me tell you, do you know what the opposite of, of, of glory is to many people? It's shame. That's what the world wants you to feel is shame. But whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Paul says, I'm sure of this thing. I will not be put to shame. It doesn't matter if they put me on trial and call me guilty. It doesn't matter if they say, I've got to be executed. This man is an enemy of the state. I will not be put to shame for I know whom I have believed. Right? The spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you knew at that moment, what is on you when you are being hated and reviled and threatened and mistreated for the sake of Jesus. Paul knew it because that near the end of his life, his friends stopped coming to his trial. You know why? It's not because it was a long ride. It's not because they didn't like him anymore. They stopped coming to his trial because for them to show up at his trial was for them to have a big target on their own foreheads. If you show up in support of Paul, you know what they're going to do? They're going to look around and say, okay, arrest you too. Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, at my last defense, no one stood by me. You know, the Roman system allowed for someone to come and speak on your behalf as a character witness. And that would carry some weight, especially if you were a Roman citizen. No one came to his defense. The great apostle who wrote most of the books in the New Testament. The great apostle who started most of the churches in the world. No one showed up to speak for him. Can you imagine how heartbreaking that must be? Do you know, I'd be pretty heartbroken if I went to court and they said, is anyone here to speak to Jonathan Bounds' character? And none of my church people showed up. That would break my heart. Nobody wrote a letter. No one showed up. That would hurt. Especially if my life was on the line. But he says this, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me and rescued me out of the mouth of the lion. And you got to know that. 
in that moment when you are on trial, when you are tested, do you real, could you really stand if I put the heat on you? The Lord stands with me. His glory rests on me. His spirit is within me. And I won't run away and I won't buckle and I won't stumble for I have a helper. Jesus himself showed up at my trial and stood next to me and put his arm around me and says, he's with me. Strengthened me and rescued me. Are you aware of the glory of God? Because it's there. Are you aware of the glory of God in your darkest, most painful hour? Because God has not abandoned his people and he never will. He says this. Let's go back. He says, if anyone is to suffer, or sorry, he says, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Now listen to that. What's the point there? What's what I said before. Listen, if you're on trial for something you did wrong, don't blame Jesus. It's because I'm a Christian. No, it's not. And I see a lot of that in 2017. There's a lot of straight up just angry people that are blaming Jesus because they're being persecuted. No, you got yourself into this mess. If you act like a, act like a hateful person, don't blame that on Jesus. You beat somebody up and you said, I did it for righteousness. No, you didn't. You did it because you wanted to beat them up. He says this. Now, anybody here going to suffer as a murderer? I don't think so. A thief? Doubtful. Evildoer? Probably not. Troublesome meddler. Now, what's that now? (laughs) What is a troublesome meddler? Pretty sure I'm not going to murder anyone. I know I'm not going to steal anything. Why did I know that more than I was not going to murder? I don't know. I'm not going to do either of those things. I'm not an evildoer. Troublesome meddler, what in the world is that? You want me to read you the Greek definition? Yes, we do. (laughs) Give us more of that Greek. Ooh, it's a good one. It's a long word. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. It's got like 15 letters. But let me read you what the Strong's defines this word as that's translated troublesome meddler. One who meddles in things alien to his calling. Bum, bum, bum. (laughs) There are Christians right now in 2017 that are being persecuted not because they're standing up for Jesus, but because they're sticking their nose where it doesn't belong. And it's not what you were called to do. So get back to what you're called to do. Get back to what God called you to do. God did not call you to go on CNN and talk about tax code for the sake of Jesus. Now, maybe if you're somebody, an expert on tax code, fine, that's fine. But don't put Jesus on that. Right? I actually saw, you know, quite a few years ago, there was a debate over what was torture and what wasn't. What was enhanced interrogation, what wasn't. And we don't need to argue about that today. You can have your belief. You can have your views on that. I'm sure there's a lot of different views in the room tonight. And that's fine. That's the point I'm making. But I actually saw a, a Christian organization that, whose purpose, stated purpose, was to represent Christian values in Washington, D.C. Get up there and take a stand on behalf of torture. Now, let me tell you, once again, you can have your 
definition of where the line should be. We're not going to argue about that right now. But I can tell you something right now. Don't put Jesus' name on that. You know what I mean? That's you. That's not Jesus. There's no scripture that says, yes, you should, you know, you should waterboard somebody. There's no scripture that says that. If you, if you think that, that's your opinion, don't, don't bring it into a Christian organization. You don't understand what I'm saying? I believe, now this is me, I believe that Christian organization stepped out from what they were called to represent in D.C., which was the name of Jesus, and they stepped into politics. Right? So they were persecuted for it. But they weren't being persecuted because they were preaching the cross of Christ. They were persecuted because they stuck their nose in other things. We're not going to argue about what's what, but I'm just going to say this. He says, don't get involved in things that are outside of what you're called to do. Because people are going to persecute you, but if you're just being persecuted because you're a meddler, you're sticking your nose in a bunch of other people's business, that's your fault, not theirs. That's not Jesus' fault. If you're going house to house telling them they're all, you know, what they should do differently, what they're doing wrong, and how, how they're just idiots raising their kids wrong, well, that's you. That's you that's doing that. He says, I'll read that definition again because some of you seem unconvinced. <laughs> right? Like if anything's going to beat them over the head with the Greek. <laughs> One who meddles in things alien to his calling. What has God called us to do? Preach the ministry of reconciliation. Preach the gospel. Do it with, without fear. There's going to be a time where preaching the gospel looks like you're a hater. In fact, that day is probably already here. Where standing up for Jesus is going to make you look like you don't fit. But that's all right. He says, back in 2 Thessalonians, We're going to wrap this up right away, so stick with me. Back in 2 Thessalonians 1, let's finish what we started. He says, We speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and your faith in the midst of your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from his presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we also pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness in the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says that justice will come. Those who did wrong will be brought to justice and those who stood for what was right will be given relief and comfort. Jesus, Peter says, when we read it, when he was reviled and threatened, he did not revile or threaten in return. 
but he kept entrusting his, himself and his soul to a God who judges righteously. What's going to help you in this time is knowing I don't need to take justice into my hands. I don't need to take my own revenge. I need to trust that God is judging this situation. And God, the judge, is on my side. And so he's not just going to, I'm not just talking about somebody being punished for what they did wrong. I'm talking about me getting relief for what I did right. And for God repaying his children and saying, don't worry, I got you. Paul was boasting in the fact, not that they endured, not that they suffered, but that they endured in the suffering. And he says, this is proof. Now, what's proof that you're part of the kingdom? What's proof that you've been counted worthy? Is it the fact that you're being persecuted? No, because even evil people are being persecuted. That's not proof of anything. But the proof that you've been counted worthy is, yes, that you're being persecuted for his name, but that you're enduring, that you kept going. The apostles were dragged before the chiefs of the synagogue. (coughs) They were going to be put to death, but Gamaliel, who's a wise man, said, what if they're standing for God? We don't want to see, we don't want to resist God. If, if if, If it's of God, it'll last. If it's not, it'll go away. Let's just let them go. But their idea of letting these guys go wasn't just to let them out the the back door with a lollipop. The way that they let them go was to beat them real bad first. Do you know what happened after those guys? I mean, earlier, Peter and John got beat up, but this time the whole crew got beat up. And when they left, it says, they went their way rejoicing that they had been counted worthy. They had been counted worthy to be beaten for the sake of Jesus. They were pretty proud that somebody thought they were connected with Jesus and beat them up for that. They considered it that they were counted worthy to be named in the same sentence as their Lord. That was a a cool thing for them. Here he says, the fact that you are dealing with this stuff, the fact that first of all there's opposition and the second thing that you're enduring and you're not giving up, you're steadfast, you're persevering is proof that you've been counted worthy of his kingdom. I want you to know that persecution is not a sign that you did something wrong. It's usually a sign that you're doing something right. And I want you to know that you're not alone if you're fighting and you're not gonna be destroyed and you're not going to be stopped and you're not going to be crushed and you're not going to be abandoned. None of these things because the Lord stands with you and strengthens you and rescues you. So don't fear it. I'm just going to go back to the words of our master. I'm telling you these things so that you won't be, so that you won't stumble and you won't be troubled. You won't be afraid. You'll know you weren't abandoned. The time is coming when someone will persecute you and thinking they're doing God a favor. That's happening on on many levels. In many parts of the world, Islamic radicals are killing believers and thinking they're doing it for God, right? Many of them. It's a shame that we don't think about it very much, but Our brothers and sisters are dying at an alarming rate. 
in our own country, we're not being persecuted the same way, but there's a different, more sneaky way of persecuting us, pushing us to the fringes of society, making you seem like an outcast. That's how we persecute in our day. And people lose their jobs for it. College professors lose tenure for this, for standing up for Jesus. Politicians have to resign. Just a politician in the UK who was a leader of his party, he resigned because he said, I can't be, I can see now, I can't be a Christian and lead this party at the same time. Because people persecuted him because of what he believed. We're in that day. But guys, there's not a thing that can make you stumble. There's not a thing that can tear you away from the love of God. There's not a thing that can tear the Spirit of God out of you. There's not a thing that can stop what God sent you to do. So know this. Stand firm. Don't give up. Know that the glory of God is in you. Know that if someone mistreats you for the sake of Jesus, you are blessed. The Bible says it finds favor with God. How many of you want the favor of God on your life? It finds favor with God if you stand up for righteousness and are mistreated. So stand, keep pressing, keep standing, keep speaking. Don't let anyone shut you up. What does he say? Don't be intimidated. That's the worst thing that could happen is that you'd be intimidated. The worst thing that could happen is that the enemy could shake you enough that you just stop talking, right? He fears what you have to say more than he wants to hurt you. You know what? He really, I don't think he cares that much whether you're hurting or you're dead or what. That's not his goal. His goal is to stop you from doing what you're doing. Don't let it stop you. Don't just poke the hornet's nest. Knock it down. Amen? Don't fear the stupid hornets. (laughs) Right? Praise the Lord. I believe we're amongst some disciples of Jesus tonight. We're going to follow him, hey? We're going to follow him when it's not popular. We're going to follow him to the places where he says, are you willing to drink of this cup? And we'll say, yes, Lord, we're willing. And he says, will you pass the test? And, and you know what? We'll say, yeah, but you know why? Because your strength is within us. We endure because you counted us worthy of your, of your kingdom. We endure because you've, you're with us and you strengthen us. You stand by us. We endure because the Holy Spirit's within us. And we have a joy that we can't explain. We have a peace that passes understanding. And if the world asks us, why in the world are you still joyful? We say, I can't express it, but it is full of glory. Stand with me, let's pray.